Our Father, we are a people who have come because we have been bought with a price. We are no longer our own. We belong to another, and that is our great delight. To discover that we have been purchased by the price of shed blood, we are a people who now belong to a completely faithful Savior, one in whose hands we will, from whom, from which we'll never be plucked. We cannot, we will not, we never could be lost. We are safe in that everlasting, eternal love through the death and sufferings of Jesus Christ. And I pray that you'll remind us of all that, our security, our safety, our, the certainty of our future, that you'll remind us of all of that while we're together today. Indeed, O oh God, we, we do not claim to be earners. We have no merit. It is the finished work of Jesus Christ that produces that foundation on which we stand. And Father, might your people be nourished as we are reminded of all the good things that he has in store for his people. Now, Father, take our monies. Um, we've, we've held back a lot of them. But what we're giving, use every dime of it to advance the kingdom of Jesus Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Thank you. Data this week, just this week, some new statistics about the family. Uh, you, you might find this interesting. Uh, 21% of atheists have divorced. Isn't that awful? 21%. And then it says 21% of Catholics and Lutherans. Right up there with the atheists. Catholics, Catholics and Lutherans. But this might change your uh, mind just a bit. Uh, in terms of mainline Protestants, 25%. We're beating the atheists. And then, of course, you might, you might know, Baptist, they're 29%. I mean, wouldn't you know it? Uh, but lest you become too uh, puffed up, in terms of non-denominational churches, that would be us, 34%. We're heading them all. <laughs> oh, isn't it fun to lead in some category? Well, uh, consequently, it seems to me that uh, something that addresses the issues of the family is always needed, and so here we are. You know, the Bible makes its own provisions for the real homeland security. It's called the Seventh Commandment. You know that one. Thou shalt not commit adultery. It is a, a biblical call to marital fidelity. You know, much, much of the world um, thinks that marriage, is, that marriage really isn't even the church's business. You know, they want to be married in the church, but from there, just butt out, would you? And, and we'll, let, we'll call you the next time we need a church wedding. The classic example of that was the recent royal wedding of Prince Charles to Camilla Parker Bowles. You know, I was told that they read from the um, Anglican prayer book, A Confession of Adultery. Appreciated that. And then um, Hollywood often seems to function this way, and even the White House. As we all recall, uh, the White House was stained with uh, infidelity uh, a few years back. But gang, um, even, even those of us, we people who, uh, who love this institution of marriage, and we love the Seventh Commandment, I mean, we, we, uh, we, uh, we want to be people who are obedient to the law, even us. For, for, for even folks like us, fidelity is not always easy. If it's, um, if it's proof you want, you need look no further than King David. Take your Bibles, if you will, 
and open them to 2 Samuel chapter 11. And let me read you five quick verses. Um, because, folks, perhaps the most notorious affair that's ever recorded did not take place in the White House. It's the affair between David and Bathsheba. Let me read you just the first five verses of 2 Samuel 11. It happened in the spring of the year, at the time when kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel, and they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. Then it happened one evening that David arose from his bed and walked on the roof of the king's house, and from the roof he saw a woman bathing. And the woman was very beautiful to behold. So David sent and inquired about the woman, and someone said, Is this not Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him, and he lay with her, for she was cleansed from her impurity, and she returned to her house. And the woman conceived. So she sent and told David and said, I am with child. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God, it endures forever. My hope, gang, is that there might be something in this story that would help us. I'm hoping that, uh, basically I've got three points. One of them is, what kinds of things do you find in this story that um, explain why David did what he did, and then from those things, hopefully, try to find some uh, steps of precaution, steps of prevention. And then I've got one little thing at the end, and then, and then we'll close up. But, um, you know, we, we sing a lot, or at least back in my day, we used to sing, Why Do Fools Fall in Love? Well, why do fools fall in lust? Why do they do that? Well, there's, there's a couple of um, insights into this text that I, that I hope will help us. Uh, at least see why David did. And I, and I think they're awfully relevant to the 21st century. Let's dig in. I want you to notice, at least in terms of reasons, why fools fall in lust. Number one, you'll notice in verse 2 that we're told that David saw. Now, gang, it wasn't unusual for people to bathe on the rooftop. That was the place where water was collected, and uh, so oftentimes, particularly at night, uh, baths took place on rooftops. But David, being the king, had a house uh, whose roof was higher than the rest of the roofs, and consequently, David could see things uh, because of his position that others could not see. So it was his position as, as king that allowed him to look at things that others couldn't necessarily see. Now, there's a couple of things I'd like to point out, Gaz, about that, that one little observation. Here's number one. First of all, um, the problem and the struggles that we have with the eye gate. Uh, doesn't that thing get us in trouble from time to time? Does it not? But the other thing I wanted you to see is... There is certain opportunity that David has because he was the king. Because there was certain position that he occupied, he could experience things that were not available to other people. The fact that he was, and I'm going to call it this, the fact that he was affluent allowed him opportunity that wasn't available to people who were less affluent. Does that ring a bell? 
You see, gang, one of the downsides of being so blasted affluent like we all are is that we have privileges, we have opportunities that other people don't necessarily get. I mean, if it's as simple as the ownership of a computer, which we all own one of those things, I know we own a couple of three of them, you know. But it's, it's affluence that creates more opportunity to, to look at things that we shouldn't be looking at. Um, folks, you got any of those privileges? Because of your position? Because of your affluence? You got any of those opportunities? You know, I had a guy say to me one time, uh, a dear brother who said that money, which he has plenty of, money just creates more opportunity to make bad decisions. Isn't that the truth? You know, some of us are cursed with money because it creates more opportunities to make bad decisions. And um, it gives us opportunity to look at things that we ought not be looking at because that looking at that stuff is oh so exciting, isn't it? Isn't it? Sin's fun, folks. Let's just admit it. At least for a while. You know, um, I, I bet David was thinking of, about the excitement of this one night stand he was about to have with this good looking woman. <laughs> Woo! All of this walking around on the rooftop just got his hormones just flowing. That is, of course, until verse 5. <laughs> and she shows up and says, Oh, Mr. King, something's happened here that we didn't plan. You know, I guess the lesson for us, guys, is uh, that you better watch out what you're looking at. And the more affluence, the more frequent will be the opportunity. I'm going to come back to that in a minute, but I just wanted you to say, why do fools fall in lust? Well, number one, because of affluence that leads to opportunity, we look at things that we shouldn't look at. Number two, notice in verse one that it was the springtime. Can't you just hear the music and the birds chirping in the background? It's springtime. It's the time when kings go out to war. Here's the second reason. He's in a place that he's not supposed to be in. Folks, he's supposed to be out battling his enemies, but instead, for some reason, he opted out of the battle. So there he is, you know, bored stiff, doesn't know what to do with himself. And so he goes and finds himself, puts himself in a place that he's not supposed to be in. He's supposed to be in a battlefield, in a, in a war. Instead, he's on a rooftop. What are you doing in that nightclub? Aren't you supposed to be working? Well, who, who, who invited you down to the lobby of the Peabody, for heaven's sakes? Aren't you supposed to be home? We're not supposed to be there. And when we're in places we ought not be, it creates opportunities for fools, fools to fall in lust. Boredom. Didn't somebody call that the devil's workshop? No, that was idleness, wasn't it? Here we are in a place that we shouldn't be in the first place. And we wonder, how did this happen? Well, that's what David did. He was in the wrong place. He was in a place he wasn't supposed to be. Number three. Um, I think what you find in, in, in this whole story, particularly in verse three. So David said, who's that woman? There is a desire to have something new. 
uh, the desire for novelty. Um, you know, he's already got two wives that I know of. He might have more than that. But he wants something new. You know, last Valentine's, Susie and I went out to supper at my, really my favorite place. Uh, it's, a, it's a very expensive place. I'll even confess. It was Erling Jensen's. I took my wife to Erling Jensen's for Valentine's and uh, made my reservations months in advance. And we sat there and, and, and really enjoyed the place. Uh, but uh, across from us, and, and they were really to Susie's back, and I could see them. I kept saying, Susie, look, look, look over there, look. And there was this two couples, and they were, they, were, they were a little older than I was, and they were really decked out. And they were very handsome people, very sophisticated, looked like they, the two guys looked like they just walked out of some boardroom someplace. And, and handsome women, handsome men, decked out, jewels everywhere. And, and, um, and I watched them, and I said, Susie, they're doing it again. Look, look, look. The two men sat there and spent most of the night comparing their new phones. They had a blackberry or blueberry or strawberry or whatever the thing is. But they, they looked like boys with a Game Boy. You know, they were. And the guy would lean over and look at his, and then he'd go. And I, and I kept saying, look at them. They're, they're still doing it. They spent their night in Valentine's comparing their new little gadget things. Well, you know, very honestly, if it's novelty that you're looking for, go out and buy a new phone. But for heaven's sakes, don't get somebody else's partner. But it's that novelty, that desire for something new. That causes fools to fall in lust. And then, fourthly, aloneness. Guys, look at verses 1 and 2. It says, um, kings go out, but uh, Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. David's left in Jerusalem alone. Um, you know, the, uh, the folks that he normally spent his time with, you know, they're, they're busy with duty. You know, all those guys that keep my feet to the fire spiritually, all my accountability partners, they're gone. I'm, I'm, I'm away and alone. You know, we got a lot of pilots in this church. And, and you know, guys, I, it must be awful. It must be difficult. Because... Um, when everybody is gone and I'm alone, I'm just looking for somebody to talk to. Does that sound familiar? The infamous business trip. You know, Las Vegas is now, I've never been to Las Vegas and, and hope nobody ever makes me. But um, uh, Las Vegas is now uh, billing itself as the place where the things that happen here stay here. Isn't that a reason to go? I can get away with it. Because I'm away from all those... I'm alone out there and nobody knows me. Now, that's my fourth reason. Here's my fifth, and it's not in the text. Number five is not in the text, but it's just one that I think is a reason why fools fall in lust. It's my favorite. It's the one where people say to me, I just want to be happy. And there's a spiritual version. It goes like this. God just wants me to be happy. Uh, so nothing matters. Nothing ha- matters but my happiness. Not my marriage, not my kids, not my word, not my God. Nothing, n- nothing matters in a word but me. Because I want to be happy. Guys, say that to yourself. You don't need to say that. Say that. Just, just say that to yourself. Nothing matters because I want to be happy. Is that not ugly? 
Did, did, you, did you know that we've got that kind of potential within us? I, I don't care who gets hurt. I don't care who I've got to step on, step over, step on. It doesn't matter because I just want to be happy. If this makes me happy, then I'm going to go do it. Now, those are five reasons why fools fall in lust. Now, as a result of looking at those, in view of those things, what I want to do secondly is try to figure out some steps of precaution. What could we do within our marriages to establish homeland security? What could we do? Well, in, in, in trying to just draw these, these steps out of the text or out of this story, what might, me, what, might, what might we do to avoid this breach of homeland security? You do want that, don't you? You know what? I think you do. I think you all do. I don't, I don't think you want the homeland to be breached. So what could we do? Now, I've already mentioned a couple of things I want to, I want to return to real quickly. Number one, avoid places that tolerate, encourage, permit, and sanction sexual sin. And boy, in our day, there is a lot of them, folks. Avoid places, avoid people, avoid settings where sexual sin is somehow allowed or encouraged or sanctioned. And for heaven's sake, stop looking at those things that titillate. If you've got a subscription, you know how to cancel it. I can tell you there's an 800 number on the front and the, and the second page. Call them and cancel that thing. And, and, and might I add, you need to avoid people who take adultery lightly. Gang, if you've got your Bibles open, I want you to turn real quickly to, to Proverbs 6 with me. I want, you to, I want to read this to you. You need to look at this with me. Proverbs chapter 6, just three quick verses. Proverbs chapter 6, are you there? Verse 27, I've got to move. Here we 627. Can a man take fire to his bosom and his clothes not be burned? Can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be seared? So is he who gives goes into his neighbor's wife, whoever touches her shall not be innocent. Gang, get real with yourself. You're gonna get burned. Do you think you're some kind of exception? You're not an exception. You take fire to the bosom. You're going to get burned. So avoid people, places, situations where adultery is celebrated, lauded, praised, allowed, permitted, sanctioned, whatever. Get away. Secondly, dare to be Daniel-like. Now that's a title of a book, Dare to be Daniel, and I just kind of picked up the title of the book. But what, what I'm saying is, do you know what, do you remember the, the book, the book of Daniel? You know, the guy in the lion's den, this guy, Daniel. In the, in the opening verses of his book, Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, Daniel is over in Babylonian captivity with his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Remember those four guys are up there and they're being trained for offices in the, in the new regime. And, and it says in one, chapter 1, verse 8, it says this, And Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not sin against God. Now, here's my point. Early on, early on, purpose that you will not 
sin in this way. About the time you're ready to pop the question and pull the ring out of your pocket, or he's putting the ring on your finger, purpose. Win this battle, gang, before it starts. Another partner is simply out of the question. It's forbidden fruit. We won't go there, ever. And you may have to renew that across the years, but start that way. If you didn't start that way, do it now. Hurry, quick. Do it right this second. Purpose in your heart. We will, that's, not, that's not an option for me. I will not sin against God. Won't do it. I mean, we might, we're going to have troubles. We're going to work through this because that's not happening. This, that's not going to hit this house. Purpose in your heart that you will not violate homeland security. Three, guys and girls, live in the light. Keeping secrets can be deadly to a marriage. And, and folks, you don't need to be defensive against a, a warning from your spouse. Women know women. And if your wife tells you guys that you better watch her, you better watch her. And, and, and why do you care if he asks you where you were for those three hours? That is, if you're living in the light. You've got nothing to hide. Computer files and phone logs and credit cards. You don't give a hoot. Because you're living in the light. Gang, trust is fragile. But it's imperative to a marriage, is it not? So, get off your high horse and come clean. Marriages flourish in the light. And we all know what happens under the cover of darkness. Under the cover. Darkness. No! Live in the light. Here's number four. Brag on your spouse in public. To everybody you meet... Tell them how wonderfully and marvelously happy you are in your marriage. And what a wonderful mate that God has given you. You know what that does? It says, this house ain't for sale. So if you're thinking about tendering an offer, you can just keep it. Because this house ain't for sale, Bubba. You need to be looking someplace else because this one isn't for sale. My friends, if you get hit on, or if somebody makes a pass at you, that's your fault. That's not, that's not a compliment. That's a failure to brag. Now get busy. You know, um, I, I think most of you know that I'm a pilot. I, I got my pilot's license when I was in college and, and um, I, I learned, I hadn't flown in years, but um, I learned on probably the baby of all airplanes, the Cessna 150, and about the biggest plane I ever flew was the Cessna 180. And uh, I was flying it into Memphis, and Susie was in the, in the plane with me, and another couple was in the plane with me, and it was the first plane that I'd ever flown that had a transponder. You know what a transponder is? I never had a transponder in my planes, but this one had a transponder. Uh, you pilots know what a transponder is. A transponder is a little uh, radio device, it's a little piece of equipment that sends off radio signals. It just, it's a squawk box. It just, it just broadcasts all these radio signals so that the people over there in the tower will know that you're out here. 
So you're saying to them, you fellows over there, don't send one of those big guys over here where I am because I'm a little guy and I don't want to mess with him. So here I am, here I am, here I am. You know what? Some of you need a marital transponder. I'm having my marriage, having my marriage, having my marriage, having my marriage. You know, I think of some of you pilots. I was talking to a dear brother the other day. And, and, you know, it's not just pilots, but all of us have to work with members of the opposite sex. But can you imagine me in the left seat of a cockpit and in the right seat you're flying for eight hours with a woman? I, I know you've got to do it. I'm not saying, I, I'm just saying, what? that's awful. It must be awful sitting there for eight hours next to another woman who's talented and sophisticated and verbal and, and, and perhaps attractive. Who knows? Here's my advice for you, my dear brother. Brag on your spouse. From the moment the wheels are up in the in the up until the moment they're down. Just oh she's the best. Oh, just, oh he's the best. Whatever. Brag on your spouse to everybody that'll listen. Get moving. That's number four. Here's number five. In some instances, the most spiritual advice that I can give you is run. The Greek word for run is run. Now run. Now, guys, I want to close with this. Some people will look at you today and say, what's the big deal? You know, sexuality is just a normal function. It's like breathing. You know, we need to get over all our Victorian hang-ups. You know, guys, the the, the problem with non-marital sexual contact is what it does is it it, it performs a life-uniting act without a life-uniting intent. What, what I, I think what God hates most about sexual sin is not so much the sex act itself as the walking away afterwards. You're turning a human being into a commodity. And I heard one man call it, he called it the commodification of sex. We're exchanging one thing for another thing. And it's like you go to the grocery store and buy butter. And if you keep doing that, you keep treating this great gift from God as nothing, nothing too big. It's going to lose all of its meaning. And I'm telling you, my friends, that's what's happening in our culture today. Because we have used it and treated it like a commodity. Now, if all that's wasted on you and you're still not convinced, I want to do one more thing and I'm finished. I want to read you a letter. It's a true letter. It's an actual letter. It was written by a 17-year-old girl to her dad who had just left the family for another woman. Um, The girl has given her permission for this to be read, but it wasn't sent to me. It was sent to another pastor. I want you to listen to this letter. Dear Daddy, When you walked away from mom and us, you'll never know the pain that we felt. I cannot put into words what we are going through at this moment. It's like we were all traveling down a road, Dad, and because you were driving the car and mom was sitting in the front seat, and me and Tommy were in the back seat, our family was safe and we all felt secure. We always trusted you, Dad. We we, we knew that whatever came around the curve of our life, as long as you were behind the wheel, we were safe. And then that day, it happened. Out of nowhere, you left mom and you left us. Dad, I feel like I've been in a horrible car wreck. I want to wake up from this and know it's over and it has only been a bad dream. But I know it's the truth and I'm trying to deal with it. 
It's kind of like mom took over the wheel. She's trying to drive and make the family work, but it's not the same. She doesn't have any experience. She's scared, afraid, and alone. She cries at night. I hear her in the other room, and she's trying to be strong for us. I feel like, Dad, we were all going around a corner, and all of a sudden, just before the crash, we got hit head on. As we were crashing, I looked up, Dad, and I saw the other car coming. It wouldn't get out of the way. It was heading for us and speeding recklessly. But what was worse than that is I couldn't believe what I saw. You were behind the wheel of the other car. Sitting next to you was your new girlfriend. And while you were laughing and happy, and she was all over you, you wrecked our world, Dad. Mom is hurting so bad, we try our best to help her. But at night we hear her crying, asking, God, why? What did I do? I never thought it would end like this. Tommy is pretending that he's not hurt. He walks around and won't tell anyone where he's hurting. But Tommy has withdrawn from all sports now, and he's not associated with any of his friends. He won't answer his cell phone and keeps himself locked in his room. Tommy's getting angry, Dad, and he just seems lost. I wish I could help him, but I feel paralyzed. I'm laying in my bed at night trying to get up and to help them because they're crying in their rooms, and yet, Dad, I can't even move. My own hurt keeps me in this bed. Sometimes I feel stuck to it, Dad. I have a question for you. Dad, did you get hurt at all in this wreck? Because it doesn't seem like you did. Do you feel like we feel right now? If you do, I want to extend to you an invitation to come home. We'd sure love to have you here. Life will never be the same without you, Dad. No big deal, huh? Just like breathing. You know you don't believe that. Can a marriage get past an affair? You bet it can. David did. And so can you. How? Well, you can start by reading Psalm 51. That's where David displays all of his repentance. And David cries out for forgiveness from what he's done. David's great psalm of repentance, Psalm 51. And there's a lot in there that you can use. Read it this afternoon. I heard one commentarian say, summarizing Psalm 51, he said simply this. If you, speaking about your sin, if you cover it, God will uncover it. If you uncover it, God will cover it. By the way, that dad in this letter, he came home. If you've never left, good. If you're thinking about leaving, don't. If you've left, come home.
Father, I pray that you will remind your people that this institution is no joke. That all that is that we must do to protect it, we must do. And I pray that you will stir us to a newfound commitment to do whatever we have to do, take whatever steps have to be taken, cancel whatever prescriptions have, or subscriptions have to be canceled. Whatever we have to do, we're going to do it because we are going to enjoy homeland security. And now, Father, meet us at this table and remind us of the forgiveness of sins. 